Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Sergeant First Class Aaron McEvers, the 2nd Brigade EOA, and I am bringing to you another episode of the Strike Brigade Leader Podcast. Today I have with me is Captain Jacqueline Mazza. Captain Mazza, would you introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. Hello everyone. My name is Captain Mazza. I am the 2nd Brigade H2F Mental Readiness Director, and I'm a part of our H2F Human Performance Team. I am an Occupational Therapist, or OT by trade. OTs help people perform all types of their meaningful daily activities, or what OTs like to call occupations, at the highest skill level possible. So my job here at 2nd Brigade is to maximize the cognitive, sleep, emotional, and interpersonal capabilities of our soldiers and our teams in order to accomplish the mission here at 2nd Brigade. And today we're going to be going back to a topic I've had Captain Mazza on the podcast with me previously, and we talked about goal setting. And we're going to go back and go over it once more, but we're going to introduce some new strategies and talk about some new research that both of us have kind of uh just recently run into and that we think is going to be helpful. So let's uh, talk about, let's go back and what we've done, pr- talk about what we've done previously, Captain Mazza. Sure. So last time we talked about SMART goals, which is a really great starting point. Um, we do know that the way you write a goal matters. So using the SMART goal system is a really good way to learn how to do that, but it's certainly not the only way out there. And like any performance strategy or mental readiness technique we go over, um, some concepts are just going to resonate with you more than others. Um, And it's good to have what I like to consider a well-stocked toolbox when it comes to mental readiness. So I I would probably start off with the question that if we really want to be effective at, at reaching our listeners and reaching the soldiers in our formation and the people we work with with this message is, what I'm curious to know is why should I set a goal or have goals? And what I mean by that is if things in my life are going well or I'm content with my with the, my current path that I'm on, why should I invest my time and resources in setting goals? You know, for example, I, I could be one of those people that just feels like, hey, I'm late in my career. Things are going good. Uh, I'm just I'm getting ready to put things on autopilot. I'm close to retirement. I'm, I'm kind of plotting out what I'm going to do when I retire. How do we convince those individuals that it's worth their time to to set goals? That's a good question. So first of all, we are just goal-directed creatures naturally. It goes back to basic survival instincts. Um, We do things and take action so that we can survive. And then also beyond that, attempt to thrive. So the benefits of goal setting um, are well noted. Uh, We get an increased sense of meaning and purpose of life, uh, improved daily mood, uh, increased drive to learn new things, sustained motivation, and improved confidence when we set and work towards goals. So, you know, sometimes it's about finding the right goal for the right person, and it starts with some values clarification. What is meaningful? What is valuable to you? Who do you want to be? What kind of contribution do you want to make to society, your family, our brigade? And then you kind of backwards plan from there. So I think there's a potential for unproductive snowball effects when we see an individual who appears on the surface maybe to be unmotivated or appears to not have the same goals as the rest of the team. There's a potential to make unfounded assumptions about who that person is and then maybe you know even write them off as not, a, not being a good team member. But if we can look into it, and if we can understand what is meaningful and important to that person, 
we can start to see what goals they have. And usually we're going to find that those goals that they have are not incompatible with the organization's goals. And if we support them in that pursuit, we'll start to see those benefits of the goal-oriented behavior, not just for them, but for the whole team. So like we talked about, the benefits of goal setting, improve uh, goal setting, improve confidence, improve mood, improve motivation. When someone shows that and can develop that, the whole team and the mission benefits. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I think I understand that. That's pretty, pretty easy to buy into there. So we worked the SMART method last time in that acronym. Uh, we're going to introduce a new one. Uh, and there's plenty of, of acronyms out there, models, mental models that help us frame and shape our goals and, and direct our goal-oriented goal behaviors. Um, but we're going to introduce a new one today. Um, you want to go ahead and get us into that one? Sure. There's a couple of new ones. Um, so like we talked about, we talked about SMART goals already, um, which is very valid. But another goal-setting method is called the ABC method. It's another way at looking at goal writing. Uh, it's very simple. So the A stands for achievable. Basically, the goal needs to be measurable, so there has to be a specific measurable endpoint that says, yes, I achieved this, or no, I haven't reached that mark yet. It can't be a vague statement like, I want to get better at PT. Sure, that's great, but what does that actually mean? So A for achievable. B, believable. You have to believe that you can do it, even if it's hard. So it's okay to set a stretch goal, meaning a goal that's going to take a little bit of work, um, as long as you believe that it is actually possible. And then finally, C, committable. Logistically and realistically, can you actually put in the work required to meet that goal, or is it just not feasible currently? And I'll give you an example, and anyone that's heard me talk a little bit knows that I'm interested in ultramarathons. An ultramarathon is anything um, over 26.2 miles. I have never done an ultramarathon, but I find them fascinating from a human performance standpoint. So talking about committable, I know that if I trained enough, I can probably run a 50K ultramarathon, which is just under 31 miles. But I simply do not have the time in my schedule that I'm willing to commit to the training required to that without making major sacrifices in other areas of my life to do it. It's just not committable for me, so I'm not going to do it. Um, so that's the achievable, believable, committable um, standard, uh, I'm sorry, process for goal setting, the ABC method. The next one I wanted to talk about um, is something called the WHOOP method. This is one that I've been talking to um, a lot of soldiers around the brigade lately, and with good reason. It's well supported by research. It's relatively unknown um, and new and interesting to most of the soldiers that I talk to and it's incredibly easy and very effective. So WHOOP stands for Wish, Outcome, Obstacle, Plan. And those are the four steps. So number one, wish. Think of the number one wish or goal that you have for the next four weeks. And in, in reality, you can choose any time frame. It should be challenging but attainable. Then write that down uh, in three to six words. Step number two, outcome. Imagine the best possible outcome of pursuing your goal. How would that feel? What does that look like? Really visualize it. What is the best part about attaining that goal? Now write that down in three to six words. Step number three, obstacle. What is the main internal obstacle you anticipate? So this could be negative thinking patterns or bad habits. Take your time to really consider this. 
and then write that down in three to six words. And then finally, plan. Identify one action or thought process that you can take to overcome that obstacle and write that down in three to six words. Then you're gonna take that and write it down in a different way using what we call if-then language. So example, if I encounter this obstacle, whatever that might be, then I will take this action. This is if-then planning, so you know how you will handle an obstacle before you even get to it. Okay. The WOOP method works on a principle called mental contrast, and this is what I really like about this strategy. So it highlights the difference between the outcome that you're seeking and the reality of where you are now. That mental contrast, or we could honestly call it a reality check, is what drives the action. It gets us fired up, ready to go. We visualize what we want, recognize the real life obstacles, come up with a plan to overcome it, and use that contrast to drive that action. I just love how that works. Okay, so something, I, and, I, and I love these models and I think they're great. And I think when people set goals, they tend to set them in very motivated states. When somebody thinks about setting a very lofty goal, such as running an ultra marathon, or maybe for somebody that is, isn't quite as fit, they may think of it as just, hey, I wanna run a 5K. And I think they're very motivated when they set it. And I, I, I feel like we set goals in motivated states, but relying on that motivated state to carry us through the process of training to achieve that goal isn't a recipe for success. And I mean that because, you know, there's packed gyms in January and then empty gyms in February. So, so how do we counteract that for, for us, for ourselves and those we care about and those that we serve with? How do we, how do we counteract that? That, uh, that motivation drop-off, which is going to happen? Sure, that's a great question. I think we've all seen the January to February uh, difference in the gyms. Um, so, you know, motivation is great. Uh, I really wish there was an endless supply, but there just isn't. It's limited. Um, in order to counteract that, we have to modify our systems, our processes, our physical environment, our mental strategies, um, in order to make doing the right thing um, meaning taking steps and doing actions that are in line with our long-term goals, we have to make doing that right thing the easy and rewardable thing. And then we have to make doing the wrong thing, that action that doesn't actually align with our goals, much more difficult to do. So we have to arrange our environment, arrange our day, so that we're doing those actions that take us towards our goals and towards success. We can't rely on simply on just motivation. Uh, we have to rely on the systems. Okay, so so motivation may get us started. That may get that may be the first step on the path, but it's really our planning. It's the process, and it's that discipline in, in adhering to the plan that, that that's what really makes the difference. Absolutely. So, what can we do to effectively track daily adherence? How do how do we how do we go about that? So literally anything that you can do to visually track your progress will benefit you. Um, when you can see visual evidence of progress, your brain uh, releases the chemical dopamine, which is a reward chemical. Dopamine is associated with drive, with motivation, so you feel rewarded and get a natural boost to keep going when you see that progress. So you can do this with check marks on a goal tracker or a calendar. Um, you can use goal tracking uh, apps on your phone. Those are all very effective. One interesting strategy that I've learned about recently uh, is specifically um, targeted for creating new daily habits. 
is that you keep two clear jars on your desk, one empty one and one full of small items such as paper clips or any other small items. Each time you complete that target new habit that you're trying to develop, you move one paper clip or whatever item from the full jar to the empty jar. Each day you succeed, you move another paper clip. And before you know it, if you stick with it, you will have completely emptied the starting jar and then filled the other one to the top. So you create a clear visual representation of your progress. If you want to sweeten the pot a little bit, you can do something like make it quarters because when you've moved every single one, you get to spend that on a reward for yourself. Okay. I find that that would probably be very helpful. And again, creating that progress that you can visually track, I could also see how that would elicit a dopaminergic response. And again, that makes you feel good. It, it could potentially help keep your motivation high, continue to keep driving you towards that, pursuing that goal-oriented behavior. Let's talk a little bit about mindset and how what we're learning is how it actually affects our physiology and the efficacy of our beliefs in ourselves and our ability to achieve our goals. I'm absolutely fascinated about this. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about that. Sure, so um, more and more researchers are finding that what you think or the beliefs that you hold can actually impact our body's physiological response to a challenge or to a situation. So there's a relatively famous study that I love called the Milkshake Study by clinical psychologist Aaliyah Crum. She made a huge batch of milkshakes, all exactly the same, with the same ingredients that each had 300 calories each. She labeled half of those shakes Sensi Shake and advertised them as non-fat, no added sugar, and low calorie, 140 calories to be exact. Then she took the other half of the milkshakes, again, exactly the same shake, but labeled them indulgence and labeled them with ingredients including substantial added sugar, fat, and high calories, 620 to be exact. Before and after the study, the research team measured the levels of ghrelin in in the study participants. If you're not familiar with ghrelin, it's known as the hunger hormone. So when you have ghrelin, when you have more ghrelin, you're more hungry and more driven to eat. When you have less ghrelin in your stomach, you are less hungry and less driven to eat. Basically, it's a hormone in the gut that tells your brain whether you need to eat more or not. So she gave the participants these shakes. Those in the study who had the shake labeled Sensi Shake, the low calorie healthy one, saw a smaller decrease in ghrelin after eating it, meaning they didn't feel as full from ingesting it and they were more likely to wanna eat more sooner after having it. The participants in the study who had the indulgent shake had a bigger drop in ghrelin levels, meaning they felt more satisfied, they were less hungry, and they were less likely to eat again sooner. But if you remember, they both had the exact same shake with the exact same nutritional content. So, so what? why do we care? What does that mean? Well, this study gives us a very good example to show that what you think and what you believe actually influences how your body physically reacts to a situation. And this has big potential ramifications for human performance across the board in all domains, including goal pursuit down the line. So there's much more to learn in this area. It's a very exciting time for human performance. Yeah, so there was another study that I was reading uh, by Dr. Balsetis and uh, the book she wrote, or the book she authored, Clearer, Closer, Better. 
and what she did, she did something similar, and she was they were testing basically it was a cognitive test, and they had told students that a certain color paper was more likely to induce errors as opposed to a, another color paper. And what they found was that the students that they told, I think that it was yellow colored paper, is more, you're more prone to commit errors uh, in, in the task that they had performed and you're more likely to have cognitive errors, errors in cognition. And it followed that, the, the, that what they told them, they, they performed thusly. So yeah, I think that, that it's, it's just absolutely fascinating that your mindset is very indicative of of your performance you know it, it, it tends to follow that if you believe something your body there's limits of course um, but uh, it, it it tends to follow that uh, it's going there's going to be a follow-on physiological response if you feel and I know there's a study where uh, there was a study conducted where people if they literally be, or if they believe that six hours of sleep was enough for them they performed optimally whereas other individuals like myself I absolutely believe that six hours of sleep is not enough for me and I would uh, I would perform poorly even though uh, yeah I, I received the same amount of sleep so yeah it's it's another uh, it's another area I just find absolutely fascinating um, I'd also like to talk about some more about dr. Balsetis's work uh, a little bit about uh, the gold gradient hypothesis and inducing the illusion of proximity and I'll talk a little bit about this. I, I'm not too sure if, if you've uh, read much of her work, but basically, and I think this is, this is probably more relevant to fitness goals. Uh, for those that are looking at setting fitness goals, um, having more of a hard time exercising. Basically, what she found with elite runners was they, they pursued a very narrow focus strategy when, uh, when they were racing or when they were training and what it meant was the gold gradient hypothesis in inducing the illusion of proximity was people performed better and exerted less energy to traverse whatever distance that they had to traverse if they narrowed their focus and for instance they were she was speaking to an olympic athlete and the question was asked do you focus do you do you allow yourself to look around uh, and basically look at the terrain do you look at where the finish line is and the individual responded no generally what I do is I stare at the shorts of the person in front of me and as I pass that person I focus on the next person and that is literally all I focus on um, because what it does is it it produces that illusion of proximity my goal isn't to make it to the finish line my goal is to make it to a series of successive nearer finish lines and what that does is that that increases effort um, and what they what they found when they studied this was they would induce motivated states in rats and mice uh, by depriving them of, of food and water and they did some similar experiments in people um, and what they found was if they made the goal whatever it was the the finish line seemed closer they would exert more effort closer they got to the goal uh, so if you can however you can manipulate it if it's focusing on a landmark that's close by or focusing on someone closer to you uh, you are likely to perform better so I, I think that's also very fascinating and what what she learned or what what her research demonstrated was the world does fundamentally look different to more motivated and more fit pe people uh, 
so yeah do you have any thoughts on that there you know i think we could take that and translate it to some of the things that that we work towards um i'll use a um kind of an easy example if you're talking about something like the ACFT you can set your goal to increase the, your deadlift by 50 pounds or you can set your goal to increase your deadlift by 10 pounds if you set the 10 pound goal it's going to seem like you're closer to it already so you're already closer to the goal and you've created that illusion of proximity to the finish line so you're more likely to speed up your efforts or increase your efforts to achieve that goal so that might look like you know, making sure you're getting the proper rest for recovery, obtaining the right nutrition, and actually going to get to the gym to put in the work. So you increase your effort to get there, you achieve the goal, you receive the dopamine reward for getting, uh, for checking that, that small goal off your list, and then you move on, you set the next goal. So it's one after another. So you're still gonna get those 50 pounds, but you've used these principles to make it easier, faster, more effective. Okay, uh, so we'll probably cover one last thing here, and something that I think a lot of models or programs that are trying to motivate people to pursue goal-directed or goal-oriented behaviors, they tell people to visualize success, you know, put up a storyboard, dream board, picture board, write it down, you know, write out your goals. What they, I think one thing that is left out of it is and this is you'd mentioned it briefly but think about your obstacles think about what goal or task failure will mean actually put some thought into the things that are going to potentially make it difficult for you to uh, meet your goals um, and because I think what we tend to overlook is we're actually more motivated to move away from the things we want to avoid than we're more motivated than than to move things that we deem rewarding absolutely so that's you know thinking about task failure thinking about obstacles um, that's kind of what whoop gets after a little bit it's creating again that that mental contrast of where you want to be versus where you actually are now if we only visualize that end state and do nothing else, it actually creates a little bit of its own reward and a little bit of complacency. But if we visualize those obstacles, and then of course, there's always gonna be setbacks along the way. Um, if we experience those, sets, those setbacks, um, that creates that mental contrast, that drive to action that gets us to get up and actually engage in what we need to do to accomplish the goal. And the truth is failure or setbacks can be a big motivator if we view them in the right way. So using that experience or that failure as informative, what went right, what went wrong, what are the controllable factors that I can manipulate to improve my performance for next time? Um, that can be very helpful towards creating targeted uh, mitigation strategies and figuring out how do I get to that goal, how do I accomplish it this time. Also, another thing I see, especially in, with the soldiers I work with, it's easy to, when faced with failure, to engage in that all or nothing thinking, saying, wow, that was a complete mm -hmm. and utter failure. The reality is, though, it's very rare to have a complete and utter failure. If we take a minute to challenge that thought um, and really 
assess the situation, it's likely that it wasn't a complete failure. Some things went okay. Some things didn't go okay. And if we use that information to sustain what we need to for the next time and improve what we need to for the next time, we're more likely to be successful in the future. Okay. All right. I, I think about that. Uh, I think Monday through Friday, I'm so good about sticking to my process, to my goals. Uh, weekends are hard for me. They're, they're really hard. Like I, I get into a habit of just wanting to lay around and just uh, stay on the couch. What I think about, though, is I think about how I'm going to feel if I don't make it to the gym or I don't get some sort of activity in. I think, how am I going to feel at the end of the day? And that's generally what I use to motivate me to get to the gym. Uh, but, yeah. But I think this has been a good conversation. I think it's very timely considering we're about to hit that time of year where – you know, about 41% of uh, U.S. adults, American adults, are going to be setting New Year's resolutions. And uh, again, we said we're going to see the full gyms in January, and then they're going to start to empty out roughly right around Valentine's Day. Um, so 41% set a New Year's resolution, and only about 9% actually stick to it. And it is both mine and Captain Maza's hope that you become part of the 9%. And we thank you. We both thank you. And again, I thank you for being a part of it, Captain Maza. Yes, thank you for having me. All right. Until next time, everybody take care. Thanks.